The ARA acknowledges the traditional owners of the land where we have recorded this podcast, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and we pay our respects to the Elders past, present, and recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders as Australia's first traders, who utilise a sophisticated network of trading paths that have facilitated the exchange of goods, knowledge and culture for millennia. Hi, I'm Paul Zara, CEO of the Australian Retailers Association, and welcome to the Retail Therapy Podcast, proudly brought to you by AWS. Having navigated the worst of the pandemic, businesses are now moving on to tackle the next big global disruptor in climate change. In this season, we're talking to business leaders, academics and climate experts about their personal journeys and fighting for a more sustainable future. We'll also learn more about businesses and how they're meeting their sustainability targets. Joining me today is Nikki Hutley, an economist and member of the Climate Council. Nikki is one of the leading voices highlighting the impacts of climate change and a frequent commentator in the media. With climate change the biggest business disruptor many are facing right now, I'm delighted to have Nikki chatting with us today. Nikki, welcome. Thank you, Paul. Great to be with you. Now, Nikki, you've got a really interesting bio, so be really, um, for our listeners today, just to give us a little bit of background about yourself. Sure. Um, thanks. Well, I've got to the point now where I say I've been an economist for more than three decades, and I'm just not going to admit to anything more more than that. Um, Fair enough. But I have been, have been around for a while. I started life, actually, as an economist in the markets. Well, actually, I started, I had a very brief period as a diplomat in foreign affairs, but um, decided to um, head into economics, started out in markets, um, and then ended up, for various reasons, um, three of which are my gorgeous children, um, went into consulting, which is a little bit more flexible than working in um, financial markets. And just almost by chance, um, as part of that consulting work, um, it was around the time when I sort of switched over that Ross Garner's um, white paper um, on, you know, how we deal with climate change yeah. came out. And there was a lot of work around that. And so it's been really a passion of mine since then, um, really also to just bring together social environmental um, side of the equation and not just talk about economics in terms of, of dollars because, yes. yes, we can put a value on things, but we need to bring all sides of it into the equation to make sure people's lives are better. Well, you've always had a balanced view, and I know you you play a regular appearance on the drum and you're a big advocate for diversity, equality and inclusion. You're doing some really great work, Nikki. So from on behalf of us all, thank you for that. And I know climate change is your your big thing. And I want to start there um, with just about climate change policy because it has had a sordid history in this country with changes of government, policies announced then scrapped. It's difficult to get consensus. Why do you think it's been such a divisive topic in Australia where that doesn't appear to be an in that doesn't appear to be the case in other parts of the world. So I think there's a couple of things. I mean, I think obviously there's a time when the scientists weren't necessarily believed, but then even when the scientists were believed, um, you know, it comes back a bit to that Garno paper when everyone was talking about climate change action as a cost to society. And yes, if we put a carbon price on, that does have a cost. But what we understand much better now is that if we don't act, mm. the costs of not acting are so much higher. So the benefits that you derive from doing something about climate change, and I think that conversation really has changed. But, of course, you know, we did bring in a carbon price in Australia, and, of course, that just was so politically divisive. There were a lot of mis 
missed, uh, well, let's just call them lies, about what the carbon price was was doing. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, you know, we, we missed that opportunity and now everyone's almost too scared to go, well, is too scared to go back down that path, which is economically the most efficient way to deal with this. But it just really, um, I guess, I don't know what it is about the Europeans, but they just seem to embrace this so much better. Um, you know, you can see that there have been um, interesting conversations elsewhere in the world on this too. It's not a fait accompli everywhere, but certainly there's at least 65 schemes operating around the world. And it is bizarre that Australia, which is one of the most vulnerable countries in terms of um, of climate impacts, is is one of the most reticent to, to move. But I, I think we've reached a tipping point. I think people are feeling differently now, fortunately. Yeah, and look, I can feel that too in every every uh, business leader I speak to. And the other odd thing, of course, Nikki, is that we've also got, you know, we're, we're a land of plenty when it comes to renewable energy. It just, just not simply does not make sense. It's crazy. Sunniest, windy, windiest country on the planet. We have all the resources there, um, you know, really smart scientists, um, plenty of room to put these things. Um, and we do need to be sensitive to the environment when we're putting up wind yes. farms and and solar farms, but we can, we can act. We've already started on that journey. The states have done an amazing job in, in progressing that. Um, but we just need to go even faster. Completely agree. Now, report after report highlights the ongoing need for action. The Intergovernmental uh, Panel on Climate Change, uh, IPCC, has warned climate change will cost Australia's economy hundreds of billions of dollars in the coming decades. Now, that's clearly, that, that's big money we're talking about here. So what, if that's not a, a reason to act, I, I guess what's the direct impact to business if we fail to take the necessary steps to curb emissions? Well, look, we've we've seen it this this in the well, not just this year, but in in the past couple of years with the disruption that happens from extreme weather events. You know, the tourism industry got hit for six under the the bushfires. You know, this is of course obviously lives are lost, people's health counts. But you know, businesses are are completely disrupted. Roads are cut off when when there's floods and 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 fire. But not only that, everyone tends to think about um, you know these these really chronic events. But there are also other events that are, are, are possibly you know creep up more slowly on us. Things like extreme heat days. So Perth has just had the hottest summer on record, more days above thirty five than we've seen. You know, if you're on a building site, you down tools because yes. you can't work in that heat. It, it disrupts um, tourism because it's too hot um, for people to go outside or, or to you know to go on holidays. They choose to go to different places. Um, it, it potentially um, you know disrupts all sorts of, of things that we do. It, of course, it affects our health, which means you know it's going to disrupt productivity in the workplace. So we can see it already um, having impacts on right across the business cycle from reduced demand because people can't get to where they need to be. Um, the goods can't get to where they need to be. Agricultural dis- um, yeah, production is, is 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 reduced. Like it's just affecting us in so many different ways, and it's here and now. Mm. Now we've had a commitment from the government for net zero emissions by 2050 to reduce emissions by 26 to 28 percent by 2030. Is that enough? And what are we going to be? What are going to be the? I guess the greatest barriers in preventing us from reaching those targets. Yeah. So no, it's not enough. Um, there are no barriers to us reaching the target. In fact, if we just can carry on as we are, we'll get past that anyway. So this is the government saying we're just going to sit on our hands and do and do nothing. Right. Now, pretty well everywhere around the world, and we saw this at COP26 last November, most other countries are saying you need to be 50% by 2030. 
So we need to do a lot, a lot faster. And in fact, the Climate Council would say that Australia can do even better than that and that we should be aiming for 75%. Right. Because we can do so much, particularly with the grid, but also with other things like transport, uh, buildings, um, you know, we, we can make inroads. So we can get there. There aren't barriers other than, um, you know, governments not, not following along. And if we look at what state and even local governments are doing, you know, they are right behind this. They are putting investment money out there to help facilitate renewable energy zones, even hydrogen, which is a little bit, you know, less certain where that's going to play a role. Mm. But, you know, we are seeing these things. We're seeing incentives. If you look at the ACT, what it's doing around um, its transport fleet and around getting um, electrification of cars, getting EVs on yes. the road with solar charges. You know, we just need the federal government to keep, to row in the same direction as everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> because they're almost like looking and feeling like a laggard, aren't they? Because you've got business leaders stepping up and actually taking the charge. Many of our ARA members actually have committed to um, uh, uh, 2030 targets that are, are quite um, uh, progressive, but equally definitely uh, net zero by 2050. And we've even seen some action from local and state governments, as you point out. So it really is a federal government issue. And I guess the message here is not to wait for federal government to catch up. It's really, really up to us all to take a leadership role in this um, in this area and, and do what we can. Yeah, it, it is. But I think it's also, you know, it's it's fantastic to see that, um, you know, 20% of businesses have actual plans in, in place right across the board. We're yep. seeing this with the funds management industry. But we can't expect just some of the company, you know, the corporate world to do this. We've, we've got to, got to have the right sticks and carrots in place to make sure everybody's going on the journey and to avoid what we economists would call having free riders along. We, we need everybody to act together because this is a global problem. Um, it's a problem for all of us and everybody needs to get behind it. No, you raise a good point. And whilst we're talking about a global level, we had the climate summit in Glasgow last year and that was a, um, uh, I guess by many accounts, the question is, was that a success or a disappointment? And what's the landscape at the moment in terms of the global response to climate change? Well, I'm typically a glass half full sort of girl. So, you know, I'll, <laughs> I, I think there were lots of things at, um, at the summit that we should um, be pleased about. Things like um, coal pledge, methane pledge, deforestation. You know, there are Big lines in the sand about what we should and shouldn't shouldn't be doing. Unfortunately, Australia is a laggard, and Australia is actually seen by many other countries as a pariah on this front. You know, we we may have deals with the US on on um, you know defence, but they are not pleased with us in terms of what we're doing on on climate. Um, the UK tried to get that put into our trade deal, but you know, unfortunately, that that didn't work out. But you know, we are under pressure from other countries to do an awful lot more. And just as they are. And of course, the next um, summit, COP27, will be in Egypt this November. And all countries have to turn up with more details around where they're going to go and how they're going to get there. So mm. it's not just enough to have targets either. We've got to have plans to get there. So there's pressure on the federal government from, from the corporate world, from consumers, from yes. voters, from the global constituency. So, you know, it's, I, I think things have to move soon. Well, climate change critics would say that, well, China's the world's worst polluter, but they're not making the firm commitments on how they're going to get to net zero. So what's the point? Is that a fair comment, do you think, given it's a global issue? Look, 
obviously everybody in the world has to play their part and China clearly because it is now such a dominant economy um, you know needs to play its role but I think it's not fair to say that they don't have any plans um, they do have a it's a 2060 but that reflects the fact that they you know have it is a developing economy still they have to a, a longer way to go to trend you know to, to change but they have said no new coal-fired power stations um, within the next couple of years within China, none from this year that they, will, they won't invest anywhere else in the world in them, which is great. They've also introduced, they've gone from having a pilot carbon price scheme to having a fully national carbon price this year. Right. So it's not fair to say that China isn't doing anything. And if you look at a per capita basis, they're lower than Australia. And if you look at the last century, Cumulative emissions, Australia's are actually higher, even with you take into account the last couple of decades of growth. So that's scary, you know, isn't it? That's very scary when you think of it that way. I mean, that's a really interesting yeah. stats. Yeah. I mean, clearly we want everyone to go, and it is important that China acts, but it's not fair to just say this is all China's fault and everybody else should sit on their hands mm. because we can't, none of us can afford to free ride. We can't afford to sort of wait for everybody else to act. Those of us that have got the resources to be able to do something need to go fast yeah. and, and first, and then we help everybody else along the way. AWS is committed to building a sustainable business for our customers and the planet. To drive collective cross-sector action on the climate crisis, we co-founded the Climate Pledge with Global Optimism on the conviction that businesses are responsible, accountable and able to act on the climate crisis. To find out how AWS can support you to modernise your business to reach your organisation's sustainability goals, head to the link in the show notes. The, the reality is it will fall to business to deliver on the changes that, we, that will get us to net zero. What Australian businesses or sectors of the economy are doing well in terms of their attitudes and commitments to climate change and what sectors do you think are struggling? Look, well, I think we see, you know, right across the board, there's commitments from all sorts of companies. But I mean, clearly, the energy sector is actually trying very hard yes. to do to do the right thing. I mean, in terms of transitioning to to renewables, unfortunately, we see some some in the sector who are still pursuing new gas or new coal developments, and that is just totally at odds with, you know, what the global agenda is, what the International Energy Agency would say. Um, I think, you know, it's the same in the finance sector. You know, we're seeing all sorts of investment companies say, you know, from BlackRock in the US to to um, Ethical Super in yeah. Australia, you know, all saying we're not going to back anything that's um, in fossil fuels and, and thinking even more diversely than that, things like issues like um, modern slavery. So we are seeing changes in, in all sorts of companies, but it's not everyone and there's still a lot of greenwashing that's going on. Mm. You know, the big four banks will tell you they're, they're doing a great job, but if you have a look at what they're actually financing behind the scenes, there's still new finance going into, into things like fossil fuels rather than, um, rather than renewables. And, and look, it's, you know, these things have to be balanced. We can't pull the plug on everything overnight. No. You know, I totally understand that. No, no, but you sort but of, you, what you're saying is that actions have to sort of, um, actions speak louder than words, right? So the people have to follow through on their commitments and actually, see beyond just making motherhood statements uh, and living, you know, a sustainable life and, and, and make sure that they're leading their, their companies to the, the right outcomes. But understandingly, it can't happen overnight, but they need a plan. Yeah, so Unilever is a fantastic example. They, they, you know, are really committed to sustainability. They also obviously have shareholders and they have to be committed. So everything has to tick boxes on 
both sides. Yes. You see companies like AstraZeneca, who's 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 funding you know millions and millions of dollars um, towards doing a project with Greening Australia at the moment to to um, plant more trees. Mm. You know there are there are some fantastic companies out there with visible initiatives to really try and make a difference. So you know there's plenty for us to see. Absolutely. And look, Nikki, I, I guess what's pleasing and it's something um, that we would like to tell our listeners that we, the ARA did launch a sustainability microsite on part of our ARA website uh, where we, um, we've, we've developed a, a roadmap in conjunction with the British Retail Consortium based out of uh, the UK. Uh, we have a roadmap that makes it really clear about where you should be by uh, by decade. And on top of that, we're sharing positive stories around members that have done some great work in sustainability. So we really want to be there to help our, our members. And I guess part of that is actually understanding for some, for some people that may have not, or, or companies rather, not, not, have not gone on to the sustainability journey, uh, what advice would you give to business that might be concerned about the transition to net zero? You know, if it may mean an increased investment, job impacts, what message would you, be give, be, would you like to give them? So I think we know from the economy as a whole that the investment in the green economy is going to actually give us more jobs and growth, to use the government's phrase. Mm. Um, you know, this is, this is important. There are opportunities to expand our businesses. But for any business that's worried, you know, you can't have a business without investment of some, some sort. And we always invest in things that are going to give us the biggest growth. Consumers are absolutely demanding greater, um, you know, uh, um, transparency um, in in what the companies that they're dealing with. They want to know how green you are. There are all sorts of companies out there that are starting to use technology that you're giving yes. consumers greater power to know what how what companies are actually doing, not just what they say they're doing, but how, you know, what green really, really means. So it's in companies' interest from a consumer point of view for their bottom line. It's in their interest because the cost of capital, the cost of uh, your interest rates are likely to go up. We already know from studies in climate vulnerable countries, developing economies, interest rates are higher where you know, little action is being taken and, and that vulnerability is seen as being there. Um, so it's there's a whole range of reasons. And if you add to that, if you've got international markets, we know that the European Union last year said they want to introduce a carbon border adjustment mechanism to say, well, if your economy doesn't have a carbon price or isn't doing, you know, having yes. sufficient policies to do something, we're going to slug you with a tariff when you try and export here. Now, we don't export a lot to the uh, EU, but if we were to, say, include the US or Japan or Canada yeah. or China, that's when the numbers start to get big and there are a lot of sectors that will be hit by that. So no one should think that they can just sit on their hands and that everything will just keep going happily as it is. The world is changing um, and you will benefit. You will get more customers. You will retain your staff more because we know millennials really care about this and they want to work for companies, you know, and having lower turnover lowers your cost. Yeah, so absolutely. There are so many benefits, Paul. Yeah, um, no, look, and we're seeing that as a major trend. Like we, we know that consumers are now shopping with purpose that they really want to, you know, that they, they really want to understand the credentials behind uh, brands and that that's important. And we know that um, there's a real cost of not getting involved and many you know unfortunately in a lot of businesses ceos think like politicians they think i'm only here for a short period of time and you know i may not be here to see all my good work i've i've experienced that myself in previous roles where you're developing something that is going to set you up for the next decade you may not be there for that so partly it's it's good business sense but it's also the right thing to do so we just have to make sure that um you take it really comes out of communication i guess where you might have to invest 
heavily, the return may not come immediately, but the return will be there over time and there's a there's a greater penalty of not participating and not having a plan. Would you agree? And there's really, yeah, there's some really simple things that, that you can do that do have quite quick paybacks, things like solar. Yes, very um, good point. And, you know, embedded solar systems, yes. you know, um, improving your lighting. I mean, there's lots of things you can do within the building. A lot of quick wins, you're right. The building that actually will save you money so yes. very quickly. So it's not all about how much more it costs, um, but, you know, making sure that you, your supply chains are good. And if ever there were an incentive, um, you know, what we saw with, with Russia and Ukraine and, and how oil prices um, can go up so yeah. quickly, um, you know, renewable the, the, the sun doesn't go on strike, fortunately. Well, let's hope it doesn't. But, um, you know, it's there are things that we, we can do to protect ourselves against that geopolitical uncertainty yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Now, at the ARA, 95% of our membership is small business, and I guess there'd be some small business owners today listening to this conversation. What would you have to say? What about small business concerned about not having the time, expertise or resources to, to take action in this area? What would be your response or tips so, look, there's a lot of amazing advice out there, and I know sport business owners are trying to do everything for everyone, but if you can go to a single point of, of, of you know, source of truth or at least a couple of them, I mean, um, in New South Wales, the, you know, the government and in Victoria, I know that, that governments have some really good um, support systems for, for, for businesses. Um, the ACT offers um, grants for businesses to help um, them become more um, sustainable to reduce um, emissions. But if you look at things like some of the, the Clean Energy Council has just so much um, information there about how, you know, you can do things to help improve your business. It's about just, you know, getting that one or two people to, you know, to uh, sources that, that can help you. The information is there and I know yeah, people are time poor, but the information is actually readily available on what, what you need to do. Um, we're certainly trying at the Climate Council to, um, get government, state governments to do more of concessional financing for small businesses as well as homeowners to help them reduce their emissions. Um, and, you know, we, we know the ACT government's just launched a program to do that. Um, so, you know, hopefully we'll see more of that around the traps soon. Very good. And look, again, if you're confused about where to start, start with the ARA. Um, and we have a, we have a microsite that actually gives lots of information, but, um, and we will point you in the right direction if you want to solve a problem. But we really uh, appreciate, um, Nikki, for you joining us today. Congratulations on all the work you're doing in leading the charge for action on climate change and better informing the business community. All the best and catch up soon. Thanks so much, Paul. Thank you for joining me for some retail therapy. With special thanks to our season partner, AWS, who can assist retailers navigating through their own sustainability journey with a wealth of practical resources. For more information, check out the show notes. Make sure you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. We can be found wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. For more information about the work we do at the ARA, head to our website, retail.org.au. Follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter or Instagram wherever you love to connect. All of the links can be found in the show notes.